And so we're going to look at Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. It reads this way, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So where we add in in the narrative of Jesus' life, that's the end of the reading, by the way, Jesus has just left the upper room with his disciples, which you can get a lot of coverage of that in John's Gospel, uh, where he's had his last meal. Of course, he institutes the supper there, the Lord's Supper. He is now heading to the Garden of Gethsemane, or in English, the Garden of the Olive Press. I find that to be significant. If you've ever seen an ancient olive press, you know that it's an incredible amount of weight that comes down on the olives that squeezes out the juice from the olives so that they can get olive oil. Uh, It's a vivid picture of, I think, what Jesus is going through right here. The olive press is coming down on him, of uh, the olive press being the knowledge of what he's about to face, that he's going to be crushed on the cross. And so it says, Father, if there is any other way, Please let this cup pass. Uh, Jesus appears to be battling temptation. The temptation maybe to give up on his mission uh, to the cross. But as the text shows us, uh, he wins the battle. He wins the battle. So, So briefly, how does Jesus win the battle to go on and fulfill his mission that would bring, obviously, quite a bit of pain? Well, first of all, we see he He prays. Now, when you look at the various gospel accounts of this night, it's interesting that at no time do you read the disciples actually prayed. Uh, Jesus had commanded them to explicitly, multiple times, in light of the danger that was coming their way. Uh, They may have begun to, at best, but the text tells us they soon drifted off to sleepy land. Now, I just I don't think that they really saw how serious their need was. You can read through the accounts of the last night of Jesus' life, and there seems to be really a lack of understanding of the seriousness of the moment. Uh, you remember Peter earlier in the evening saying, oh, you're not you're going to be arrested. I would never allow that to happen. You know, I'll, I'll saw off some ears before that happens. Uh, and so I don't think the disciples really understand their need or the situation they're in. And the reality is, I mean, you don't really pray when you don't feel your need. Prayer comes out of a recognition of need. Uh, Jesus, by contrast, is all too aware of the situation he's in. Uh, Matthew tells us that as he came near to the Mount of Olives, he collapsed uh, onto his knees. That's really the idea. He collapsed and began pleading with his father. Now, uh, the normal position, of course, in Judaism for prayer was, was to stand. You stood and lifted your hands to, uh, to ask your father for uh, your, uh, your needs. But Jesus falls to his knees, so exhausted at the thought 
of what's coming, unable to lift himself at the moment. And so he's desperate. He prays, Abba, Father. The closest equivalent we might have is is Papa or, or Daddy. Father. Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever prayed with a sense of um, just desperation? Maybe not, you, you just can't get the words out. They just kind of fumble out of your mouth. Please, please, please. Um, the time in my life where I prayed with a sense of sheer desperation was, um, I mean, I've had a number of times like this, but one of the most vivid pictures I've had in my life is when my wife gave birth to our first son, Jude. Uh, for hours and hours and hours, we had been waiting in the hospital room, just kind of sitting there waiting for her to go into labor. Um, and it was, frankly, I mean, we were kind of bored. There was not a whole lot of action going on. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, Jude's heart, according to the heart monitor, had just stopped beating. And so we went from long hours of boredom waiting for her to give birth to Jude, and then all of a sudden it was happening, and it was happening fast, but not the way we had hoped. It turned out that the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck and that, indeed, his heart wasn't beating. And so doctors and nurses swarmed around my wife, and they were doing everything they could to get her into the OR. And it all happened so fast that the next thing I knew, they were wheeling her into the OR without me. And I was left outside to face this one alone. And in my mind, in my mind, I thought that, that my son was probably dead. But I also thought, because of some things that the doctors had told us earlier in the day, that my wife was in danger. And so I stood outside of the OR thinking that both my wife and my son were going to die. And I went into shock. I mean, I literally, I, I, I was shaking so bad that the scrubs that I needed to put on to go into the OR to see my wife, uh, I couldn't put them on. I was shaking that much. And so a nurse had to come over and help me put them on. And, uh, and the whole time, I stood outside the OR just saying these words, please Jesus, please Jesus, please Jesus, please Jesus. I had, I had literally nothing else. I didn't have a request. I didn't know what to say. I just, I just pleaded out of terror, out of fear of losing the people I love the most. Well, a few minutes later, uh, I finally got the scrubs on and they let me into the OR. And to my great astonishment and great joy, one of the most joyous moments of my entire life, both my boy and my wife were alive and uh, and God had answered my prayer, even though I had not articulated it well at all. You see, when, I mean, when you feel overwhelmed with fear or temptation, you, you pray. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did in order to face what was coming to him. But secondly, to avoid the temptation of giving up, Jesus seeks God's will first. Um, so often when we pray, we pray, really, my will be done. Uh, Lord, I want, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need. Now, I'm not against uh, giving petitions in prayer. I think that's important. I think we need to. I think we need to ask for our needs to be met. The Bible, uh, the Lord's Prayer, explicitly tells us to ask for our daily bread, to ask for the forgiveness of sins. Nothing wrong with that. But I think um, I think the, the model that we see given to us by Jesus is that we ask for what we want, we ask for our needs, but then we always temper it with the words, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing. 
in Mark's gospel of this account, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, this is an incredible scene that we have portrayed before our eyes. Uh, This text brings us to holy ground that I am not going to be able to explain to you. I cannot explain to you exactly how God the Son can petition God the Father uh, to, in some way, or how they can uh, be wrestling with their with the wills in this moment. There's a there's a mystery here, and it's okay to leave it there. It's okay to just say this is mysterious. How God can beg God. But but what I do want to point out here that I think is helpful is is this text actually shows Jesus in his 100% humanity in maybe a more clear way than, than any other place in the Bible. Jesus faces death, yes, as the Son of God, but also as completely man. And he knows what's coming. And he is agonizing over it. It is causing great stress and exhaustion. This is one of the reasons I love, I love the Bible, because there's such realism to it. Jesus, the great hero of the story, is shown even agonizing over his death. This is very different, by the way, than uh, many of the accounts in the ancient world. If you look at the Greeks and Romans and the way they portray a hero of theirs dying, it's always with sort of bravery and with, you know, you know, ironic one-liners. You know, if you look at the Maccabees and you look at their accounts of how people died, I mean, people are, you know, bravely kind of confronting their enemies while being hacked to death. And uh, and here we see Jesus acting much more like you and I, afraid and in agony over what's coming. Now he says, can you take this cup from me? What is the cup? Well, in the Old Testament, the cup is often portrayed as, as uh, a symbol of God's wrath. Uh, Psalm 75.8, for example, says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Well, the cup of God's wrath that is foaming over because of the sin of mankind is now going to be poured out on his son in stead. The Father will forsake the Son, and Jesus, the perfectly righteous one, will become sin for us. He will experience hell on that cross for us. And yet, knowing this, agreeing to this, not sent out like unwillingly, Jesus willingly goes to the cross and says, Not my will, but yours be done. And that leads to the third reason Jesus doesn't fall into temptation, and that is he stays awake. So he prays, he seeks the Father's will first, and he stays awake. Now I bring this up because three separate times the other Gospels tell us Jesus' closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, are night-night. They're sleeping. And interestingly, the reason Luke tells us they're sleeping is because of sorrow. They were stressed and exhausted, thinking about all the things that were going to happen. I don't know about you, but I can find myself relating to them an awful lot. You have a big project of work or school, and you know you have to do it, but it just all seems too overwhelming. So, you know, I'm just going to go back to bed for a little bit. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go back to night night. You procrastinate and avoid it, and sleep is the easiest way to at least temporarily 
feel like you can avoid the hard stuff. But the Proverbs tell us, of course, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty will come upon us like a thief and want like an armed man. And so Jesus warns them, stay awake. And now for the third time, he has come back to them, and they are still sleeping. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, Jesus says. Rise and pray that you may not enter temptation. Now contrast the disciples, you and I, with Jesus. And being being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples. You see, Jesus does everything he commands us to do. There is nothing that he doesn't do in our place. The disciples did not rise up in prayer. You and I often do not rise up in prayer. We are often given to sleep, and by default, we give up. But Jesus Christ does not stay on the ground, and that is why he is our Savior. He does not stay in the garden, but he indeed rises and goes to face the cross of Calvary and the wrath of God against us, for us, in our place, to rescue us. As God's creation has been held hostage by sin, Jesus Christ goes behind enemy lines, behind the door where our sin is eating us away, and at the cross he will say to us, I am here to rescue you. He stays awake, and in the process takes away the sting of death and hell. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, What was the joy set before him? It was paying for your sins so that he could declare you forgiven, so that he could make you his brother and sister and an adopted child of the Father for the glory of the Father. Thank God that Christ didn't give in to the temptation to give up, but indeed drank that cup all the way down for us.